It's Friday, July 17th. I'm Stephen Fee, and this is The Pen Pod, a limited-run podcast from Pen America. On today's edition, controversial New York Times writer Barry Weiss steps down, citing an illiberal environment and bullying from her colleagues. The White House Correspondents Association president says White House press briefings have become purely political, and disinformation during the fall presidential campaign looms. We get the latest from our Pen America CEO, Suzanne Nossel, in our weekly Tough Questions segment. I'm Stephen Fee, all that coming up on The Pen Pod. A New York Times opinion writer and editor steps down. The head of the White House Correspondents Association calls press briefings now purely political and disinformation is on the horizon. For more on all of this, we turn to Penn America CEO Suzanne Nossel for our weekly Tough Questions segment. Suzanne, thanks for being here. Thanks for doing it with me, Stephen. <laughs> no problem. Well, so, you know, this week, obviously, New York Times opinion editor and writer Barry Weiss uh, resigned. Uh, she cited a bullying uh, by her colleagues and an illiberal environment um, in, in what she penned as an open letter. She wasn't forced to step down, though. Um, there have been consistent calls for her to resign uh, by outsiders, specifically for pieces viewed as tone deaf at best. You know, what do you make of all this? Yeah, look, I mean, I sort of would say this with a book coming out in two weeks, but I feel like it's sort of a perfect illustration of why I wrote uh, Dare to Speak, Defending Free Speech for All, and the arguments that I make in the book, which are really about, you know, as I, as I put it, sort of how we can live together in our diverse, digitized, and divided society without curbing free speech. And, you know, I think the, the Barry Weiss resignation is just illustrative of this kind of combustible situation in this country, it's, it, you know, it's kind of comes on top of a, a heap of similar controversies, you know, many of them at the Times, not exclusively at the Times, the Tom Cotton op-ed, you know, the Harper's letter that we talked about last week, you know, huge controversy over Steven Pinker at Harvard and, you know, tweets that he has put out over the years. People want to uh, push him out of an academic organization, you know, and they're just th throngs of others. You know, I was talking to somebody at an organization who said that they have received is essentially over the last two months, uh, a comparable number of queries from professors who are being targeted for speech in that two month period than they've had over uh, the previous year. So there's kind of an intensification. And, you know, we understand why, because we're in this moment of reckoning where I think people are coming to grips with the legacy of racism in profound ways. And it's it's forcing this examination of, you know, what kinds of speech are appropriate and what we ought to do with speech that seems to you know, go against that grain or undercut it or question it. And, you know, what I argue in the book is that, you know, there are really a whole series of things that we need to do sort of at one time in order to work through this Mormon and drive forward a more equal, inclusive, and just society while sustaining robust protections for free speech. So, you know, I think about Barry Weiss, you know, one of my first chapters about conscientiousness of language and sort of an effort that I think we have to make to be aware of our audiences and to try to avoid gratuitous provocation and try to show sensitivity to the diversity of audiences and how words may land differently depending on who is hearing them out. And I think, you know, the, the kind of provocative mode of commentary, you know, I frankly hope we don't lose that because I think it keeps our discourse interesting, but 
I also think there needs to be, you know, real thoughtfulness and forethought and examination of, you know, ways of wording things, points, uh, you know, looking at and considering different points of view as you write and speak. And, you know, it's more work and, it, you know, it can cross a line into self-censorship at times. And I think that's one of the dangers of it. But, you know, that's one of the points I make. I also make a point about the duty of care that you have as somebody who holds a large platform and great influence that you're kind of, I think, appropriately held to a higher standard in terms of that level of cognizance and forethought. So, you know, in my view, it's sort of some of those principles then make possible other principles that I also touch on in the book, you know, including the importance of defending the right to express unpopular speech, uh, the right uh, and the necessity of talking about controversial ideas, how to protest speech without silencing it. And, you know, I think we have to kind of learn as a society, you know, how to pursue open discourse in these ways. And, you know, I think some people really do exemplify it. And I try to give a lot of examples in the book of people who I think, you know, scientists who are talking about, you know, really sort of sticky and sensitive issues in a rational fact-based way that makes clear that, you know, whatever nefarious implications their research might have about racial differences or other gender differences, you know, that that's not where they're going. That's not what they're about. And, you know, they're people who have kind of begun to figure out how to do this. And I think we need to take a page from them and, you know, among all of us sort of have more discussion about a, a conservative columnist at the New York times. And, you know, how can we make that work and how can the audience also be brought to understand the importance of having ideological diversity on an opinion page like that. And, you know, the, the, the stuff that Barry brought up about how she's been personally treated by colleagues, I think is just unfortunate. You know, we do a lot of work at PEN America on issues of online harassment and documenting the effect it can have. And, you know, it can really be devastating and, and undermining. So I think that's, uh, you know, that's, that's another piece of this. Yeah. I mean, in meantime, you know, uh, speaking of lack of nuance, um, the White House Correspondents Association this week criticized um, the now more regular White House briefings, but saying that they've become just purely political. Um, you know, it came as the president gave what was basically a campaign speech in the middle of the Rose Garden this week. I mean, what are the norms here about how much a president and his government paid staff can campaign using the platform of the White House? And, and what does it say about the news value of what's coming out of the White House right now? I mean, look, you know, that news conference was just rambling and all over the map and kind of, a, a you know, almost like a ranting and raving if you w read the transcript or listen to it. And I think that's a bit of a reflection of where we are politically. You know, I think, you know, as we look forward, we want to restore the tradition of a healthy give and take between the White House press corps and the president, one where journalists don't have to worry about being punished for asking tough questions, you know, something that we know has happened repeatedly with the Trump White House. That's why PEN America is suing uh, and pursuing our, our case in federal court uh, to prove that that violates the First Amendment. You know, I also think those conferences need to be a vehicle for transparency and accountability so that issues that are on the minds of the public can be raised by media organizations, and they can press for an answer and, you know, watch how a leader reacts. And, you know, we've had some moments like that, some really 
telling moments in the course of the coronavirus where, you know, the, uh, President Trump's encounter with Chinese American journalists, for example, you know, and, and, and dismissiveness toward her. So I think those encounters can be really revealing and important. And I hope we can get back going forward to a more you know, regular and sort of normal give and take, not that it's going to be easy. There's a natural tension between the White House and the press corps, but it's really gotten out of hand. And then you see, you know, other kinds of examples of the way that uh, the this White House is using its platform for campaign purposes. I know there've been a lot of concerns about, I mean, of all things, Goya beans this week, right. you know, the president and, and, and Ivanka Trump being photographed, you know, uh, plugging Goya beans because the CEO uh, is a fan of the president and spoke out on behalf of the president and he's now, his business is now being targeted, you know? And so, you know, I, I'm no ethics expert, but uh, you know, I think these, these steps cross lines in terms of the, prohibitions on federal employees engaging in campaign activity, you know, especially at the workplace. I don't think the president is is per se subject to that, but it, it certainly goes beyond norms. And Ivanka Trump is uh, a federal employee. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me look ahead a little bit, because I was reading a tweet this morning that, you know, it's been almost a week since New Jersey had its uh, presidential primary and 60% of the returns have been counted so far. And it just makes me think about what's going to happen on election day. Um, that combined with the president already sowing doubts about mail-in and absentee ballots, seems like there's this perfect storm brewing of bad and misleading information that could repress turnout, but also just confuse people. And I'm wondering, what keeps you up at night? And, and what, what should we be doing? And what can PEN America be doing in the months ahead? Yeah, I think uh, it is a very fraught situation. Of course, it's all you know driven by the pandemic, but also you know coming on, on on top of the anxiety that the pandemic is causing. And I think kind of as civil society organizations, Pan America, other non governmental organizations, even universities, corporations, I think we have to plot a really steady course here to message out to the country that, look, this is going to be an election like no other, uh, 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 unlike any other, in that a uh, great portion of the ballots are going to be uh, submitted by mail. It is going to take a long time probably to count and declare the winner of you know various statewide races, who knows about the presidency, depending on whether it's close, and that we need to kind of settle down and settle into that and expect that, know it's coming, you know, not worry too much, not be vulnerable to conspiracy theories or disinformation, you know, because we we know this is to expect something different, that this is not going to be, you know, a, a situation where all the races are called by 11 o'clock at night and you see that map sort of, you know, lighting up with exactly how things turned out and you can, you know, uh, go to bed and sleep well. It's not going to be that way. I don't think this time around, and you know, there are reasons for that. We have to go about it carefully. It does take longer to count mail-in uh, and absentee ballots. And so I think there's a really important piece of uh, preparation and expectation setting for the American public that we need to undertake. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Suzanne Nossel is CEO of PEN America. Her new book, as she mentioned, Dare to Speak, Defending Free Speech for All, publishes July 28. We have an excerpt that you can read on our website, pen.org, and you can see all of Suzanne's virtual events coming up at pen.org slash dare to speak. Thanks so much, Suzanne. Thank you. Thank you. 
And that's our episode for Friday, July 17th. Join us next week for the Pen Pod. You can listen to all our episodes at pen.org. Follow us at Pen America on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can sign up on our website for our daily Dare newsletter. That's where we track major stories about literature, free expression, and the news of the world. I'm Stephen Fee for Pen America. This is the Pen Pod. See you Monday. <laughs>